Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard. You're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Love, award-winning five-time career entrepreneur with 20-plus years under her comfy skeds. She retired her high heels years ago. Jennifer Love is a thought leader with a heart that matches her name. Her degrees, training, and research in human and organizational behavioral psychology are the foundation for her clinical work. She's currently the visionary CEO of the Living Wealthy Institute, helping world leaders develop develop a healthy relationship with wealth free from overwhelm and anxiety by following a regenerative money equation for a holistic and nourishing experience. Leaders who know how to raise, manage, grow, and contribute money can live soulful, wealthy lives to become allies for future generations to come. She is beloved by those around her because she gets results. As a former client once said, with Jennifer, the only possible outcome is success. Welcome mm-hmm. to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you. I brought in a little a little ally today for us. And um, this is a, I call her Rosie. I gave her a name, but it's mm-hmm. a, a piece of rose quartz. And so I've invited in um, compassion and love and kindness into this space with us as we have this conversation today. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Rose quartz is one of those mother loving stones that just is caring and takes care of you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a constant reminder for me. Sometimes I'll hold it in my hand while I'm having a conversation. It's just a, re- it's a really great reminder for all of us, for me. And I use it as a tool to just like always be grounded in compassion and love. I love that. That is so beautiful. So, Mm -hmm. so people can get to know you. Tell us about you, where you grew up, how you started out, how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Well, where I grew up, gosh, I had quite a, quite a like zigzag around the United States. Uh, I grew, I was born in California, the Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Oklahoma, Oklahoma city. Uh, when I was about three, and um, back to California, I bounced to Mountain Home, Arkansas, bounced to Pennsylvania, bounced back to California, to New York, back to California, so I've kind of bounced around a lot, some for school, some, you know, because of work, um, career, and um, some because of family, and just making moves as a family, and, uh, you know, I think that it's been an interesting part of my own journey, uh, being able to see and explore the different parts of humanity and how we exist. Even in the U.S., we have so many different dichotomies, so many different ways of thinking, of being, of communicating, accents, like all of that, right? And that really ties into, I mean, for almost two decades, um, I've studied human and organizational behavior and development and specifically looking at how leaders um, are in relationship to wealth and money. Mm-hmm. And I'm really incredibly fascinated by metamorphosis mm-hmm. and the process of metamorphosis. And I like to look at and through the lens of nature. And so I will bring those principles into my methodologies and into the work that I do, um, because I believe that nature has so many lessons um, to teach us. And, you know, so through my journey, which I'll kind of like explore with you here in just a moment, 
Um, my mission has become at the season in my life to help end emotional poverty mm-hmm. and to reunite leaders with their own internal innate birthright and sense of freedom within themselves. Um, And that I think was really birthed out of watching my mother. I was three years old and uh, I was, as so many of us watched um, our parents fight around money. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was three years old and I'm standing in the hallway and I'm hearing my parents fight behind their bedroom door. I can hear my father punching holes in walls and, you know, he, he ends up leaving and kind of left our life at that point. My mom's sitting on the bed, she's crying. So I go and I crawl up and I see the cut up credit card next to her. And she looks at me and she says, you know, your dad's leaving. He's not coming back and we don't have any money. So I went from living a very, you know, a child is a very wealthy life with a father who's an entrepreneur and to pretty much into poverty um, after that. And in watching a mother who became very financially disempowered within herself, never really recovered after that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, looking back, our, because my belief is that our, our gifts really are in our wounds. Mm-hmm. And I never want to see another woman, another human be disempowered around their finances ever again. Right. So that's the work that I do now. And um, uh, my mom just simply didn't have the tools. She didn't have the resources. She didn't have the support to get through the trauma that she experienced, right? And that's true for so many of us. Um, we just don't have the tools, the support, the resources. And so in many ways, that's really, I think, how I got started down this path um, to help mama, um, you know, and help others not have to experience this in their life journey. Um, So over the last 20 years of my career as an entrepreneur, um, I founded five companies uh, and have partnered or invested in several others. And so that includes, I was a business advisor for 10 years. Uh, Let's see, I started a wellness center with a natural doctor um, back in the day. I have a wholesale chocolate company um, called Nibmore, great dark chocolate, by the way. Uh, if, anyone's, if anyone's <laughs> interested, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, I started a, a financial literacy company for women leaders, and now I'm really in, in you know, my full attention. The season of my life is in the Living Wealthy Institute, um, and that, and that's really where my heart is. You know, I've used, I would say, business as a tool for healing. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Um, You know, in 2013, uh, at this point, I was an award-winning career entrepreneur. And uh, I was the CEO of an eight-figure, you know, wholesale chocolate company. And uh, I had raised over $100 million for, you know, clients' companies, my companies. And so, you know, I've been around wealth. I had accumulated it. I was you know, had money in the bank account, like all of these things. And yet I knew in 2013, I was starting over. It was, it was the day that I decided to resign as CEO from my chocolate company. And we hired a new executive team, a new CEO to come replace me. I was miserable, Mm -hmm. really miserable, you know? And I, at that point, I was a few years into having been recovered from bulimia. I was bulimic for 10 years, the first 10 years of my real career. 
And um, I was quietly, or maybe not so quietly, um, miserable. You know, and it was just expressing itself all over my life. And so I sensed that I had become a slave to my own unprocessed trauma and pain, right? Because I've been studying this stuff. This is my work. This is what I do. But of course, we do the work that we need to, you know, actually do for ourselves, right? It's so true for so many of us, because again, our gifts are in our wounds. Um, and so what I didn't know, but began to realize in 2013 was that was really the forefront of my own metamorphosis. And, and what was happening for me at the time. And I really began to ask myself the question, how is it, you know, what do I really want to truly become? Mm -hmm. And that question really changed the rest of my life. Um, and so here I am, you know, now and um, today, I've, uh, I'd say I and kind of in 2008, as an interesting, fun experience, I uh, entered the cocoon, right, of nature's classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to experience a wild parakeet um, as I was walking through uh, Australia's botanic garden, it was Sydney's botanic garden. And uh, this parakeet that was a wild parakeet was putting on a show for all of us. <laughs> and I was so fascinated Kimberly, I was so fascinated by this wild parakeet who just got so much joy out of putting on a little show for like bystanders who were there, right? So I ended up sitting down on the grass and um, this, this kind of public frolic really taught me a lot more about our true nature um, than the last 20 years of, you know, my, my, my education and learnings. And, and, and so I was like, wow, you know, there's so much that we have to learn about nature and what if we could play our way to success um and so play has become a big part of the work that i do and then the question you know there was like really am i willing to trust timing right and enjoy the surprises and delights that life bring when i just can be in the moments um, of something like that mm -hmm. wow so as I'm thinking about your story, um, you know, you, you started out in, as a child with everything and then nothing and a mom who was struggling with that money issue. And mm -hmm. um, I know I've worked on those issues in my own life and so much of it comes from very early childhood. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we do exactly what our parents do or we say we don't want that and so we do the opposite do you remember mm -hmm. even as a child or growing up as you were thinking about what career to go in to what kind of things you were saying to yourself were you saying I'm never going to be that or do you remember something I was never going to be hmm nothing's really coming to mind on what I'll never be uh but one thing I always wanted to be was a veterinarian uh, I think because I loved animals, I was not the Barbie doll or like, the, I was not about the dolls. I was all about the stuffed animals, uh, growing up, but Hmm. Yeah. Nothing's coming to mind on what I, I, I wanted to not be. That's an, that's an interesting question though. Hmm. Yeah. Cause some, so many of our decisions are made before we're even conscious enough to know that we're, we're making them. Mm -hmm. So when you were deciding what you wanted to be when you grew up, what yeah. kind of things were you going to A lot more clarity there for sure. 
Yeah. So gosh, I mean, so much of that was in wanting to help mom. I wanted to rescue mom. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's no surprise that I ended up in psychology, Mm -hmm. right. And human and organizational behavior and development, because really underneath that existed that like desire to help mama wanted to help heal her wanted to help find the the cure for her um and so here i am right and so like kind of it's kind of in full circle yeah it's interesting you asked the question uh before the show started you know how did it how did this all like kind of happen i was like what was the calling and i'm like you know what I didn't like choose to go down this path. It kind of called me and then I kind of, uh, you know, took the entrepreneurial path in it, you know, becoming the therapist and doing the business advisory work and, and bringing the money therapy into this work, like under the covers, more stealth style. Mm -hmm. It's always been there. It's I've always been doing this research, but I never really brought it to the forefront, not until the last many years. Um, and so it was several years ago that I was like, oh my gosh, this is just so called me. And I, and it was through the financial literacy company and the research that I was doing with with those women leaders and their relationship with, with money and finance. What that, what I saw was that if I put the um, psychological, emotional, therapeutic work up front, Cause I originally, I had it kind of like tucked in three or six months later, you know, in a year long program. Mm-hmm. But the moment that I took it and I put it up front and I made it a requirement eventually as like, this is what you have to do. You have to go through this emotional, psychological digging and excavating up front. What I saw happen, Kimberly, was that rather than uh, the bank accounts growing, the revenues growing, the real estate acquisitions happening, uh, 24 months later, it was happening in six to 12 months. So by actually doing this work up front, they were shortening the amount of time that they were wasting mm-hmm. spending, right? And um, later. And so I was like, oh my goodness, like this is, this is such a huge, it was such a huge revelation in my research to see how much time that shortened by actually requiring it up front. Yeah, that is so powerful. And as you worked with people and you started out with the emotional mindset, however you want to, you know, changing and opening their minds to new things, did you encounter a lot of resistance from the people you're working with where they were like, I don't know, afraid or didn't want to go there? Well, no one really wants to go there. Right. I mean, we, we've become so sophisticated <laughs> at like taking all of our shit and like stuffing it in bags and putting it into the, the dark closet where the cobwebs are. And then we put all kinds of things in front of it, right? Mm-hmm. And we never wanna go ever see it again. And so we become incredibly sophisticated that I call that scar tissue, right? It's, a, it's an accumulation of scar tissue that we build up in ourselves to, be, to tuck all of that pain away. But what we don't often understand because that creates blind spots what we often don't understand is that's actually perpetuating more of what we don't want. And we don't always realize that. I think most people don't realize that. We don't, we don't, we definitely don't. And so, you know, the resistance, yeah, sure. I, I, everyone has resistance in them, but you know, that's part of being a therapist. It's like helping people access themselves and knowing how to do that. 
and in creating a safe space um, so that it's okay. Cause I become like their friend on the journey, mm -hmm. right? It's like, come on, I was going to grab your hand. We're going to take a look. Let's go for a walk because you know, if you eat that apple and it goes down your throat and into your stomach and you never shit that out, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. So like, let's just get that emotional shit out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why my mission has really become to end emotional poverty so that um, entrepreneurs, leaders can get access to the freedom inside themselves mm -hmm. so they can live wealthy. So are there questions that we should be asking ourselves to actually bring some of this to the surface? Because if we've buried it that much, we might not even be aware of it. That's for sure. Well, I think a couple of um, really great questions. One, this is like kind of first layer. What is it that I'm afraid of that I don't want anyone else to know about? right? What is, what are the things in my life that I don't want anyone else to know about? Or what are the things that I'm avoiding that I don't want to look at? Mm. That's like, that gives you all the information right there. You don't, you don't even necessarily have to go like into it just yet, but it gives you the information about what's happening and what areas in your life are you avoiding and why, and specifically around your, your money and your wealth and how you're being with it. Right. Um, how do you want to be, how do I want to be with my money and my wealth? That's a really big question to ask. Like, how do, who do I wanna be? How do I wanna be, right? That's that state of beingness, that place within ourself that that's accessing that emotional part of ourself. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow, and that is so true. Cause when you were talking about, um, you know, go where you don't wanna go, and I was thinking about that as far as like exercise. Nobody really wants to do like sit-ups, you know, <laughs> most of us yeah. need to do some kind of sit-ups or push-ups or something. But the things that are the hardest are the ones we don't want to go to. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a great, that's such a great analogy actually. Yeah. Because what happens when we do do that, when we go into those places that feel like the monsters are under the bed, mm -hmm. um, the ROI on that is so huge. It's our freedom because otherwise we're living in the pre our prison. We're not free, right? We're being haunted and then we are um, being affected and how that shows up. I mean, I have a, what I call the living wealthy model that mm -hmm. I walk people through, right? And it's like to identify the spiritual, emotional and mental um, scars that are creating those upper limits um, and making you a prisoner inside yourself. That's the first step. And then it's to reconnect, right? To living wealthy, which is, I believe, your natural state of being. Mm -hmm. and, and then to clear, clear the shit out, uh, right? Clear that scar tissue that's really constipating your life. Mm -hmm. and, and that's robbing you of your freedom and your joy and your wealth. And, and to then integrate. And this is the practice field, right? It's the practice field to end emotional poverty ease anxiety, which I know for women is like a big deal. Like so many women have, especially leaders have anxiety. Um, I'm sure you and your practice, you know, you, you get a sense of that on some level. Um, and then, you know, in the integration process, becoming empowered in making healthy financial decisions um, with a whole self, right? And then you get to the stage of embodiment, embodying, like living 
being fully yourself and rewired in the flow of living wealthy. That's the living wealthy model and what I walking leaders through. Um, but how does the scar tissue actually really get there, right? The scar tissue being the buildup of the barriers, the blocks and the traumas, the pain, the, unpro the destructive stories, right? The addictions um, that destroy our natural life force. And, oh my goodness, uh, we're creating this all over our life, right? And it stems, we, we don't want to hear it, but it stems from that early childhood, um, right? And then we're perpetuating it through societal, um, systemic issues, through gender, race, you know, all kinds of issues are contributing through ancestral traumas and tendencies um, and fill in the blank, right? There's so many ways that we're being affected by all of these things. And, and living wealthy, I believe, is really this state of feeling alive and free and connected and satisfied. Um, and, when, and I think what's really happening, I believe, in the world is that we're losing our natural connection to living wealthy, right? We're losing our connection to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're losing our connection to Mother Earth, to nature. Um, and therefore that scar tissue is building up, we're tucking away in the closet, right? And it's affecting the four different aspects of our humanity, our spiritual, our emotional, our mental, and our physical, right? So one of the interesting things in the research that I've done through with clients is that I see, huh, you'll find this interesting being a doctor, I think, um, that all of it's, I'm like willing and ready for someone to not have this issue. But I find that all of the leaders that I'm working with, they all have some kind of issue going on with food, whether it's constipation, leaky gut syndrome, um, IBS, right? Some kind of intolerance to some something like something's happening in their relationship with food. Oh, hi, train. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so that's, what's interesting to me because it's connected, right? That is connected to what's happening for them emotionally and psychologically. And that's the fun part of my work. I get to look at how through all the different parts of ourselves, we're affected and how, where the scar tissue shows up physically is connected to how, where the scar tissue is for us emotionally and mentally. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Well, it's definitely makes sense to me because I've done work in that area and I know there's physical things that come up in my body that is caused by things from childhood or even generational oh. things that I thought were mine and I had to give them back. I said, hey, this, hey, someone passed this down to me. This isn't even my stuff. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's like, wait a minute, damn it. This isn't even my belief. Why am I carrying it? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But I, I can see where, you know, as you're working with people, they're coming to you because of, you know, they want to increase their income or their wealth. Mm -hmm. And what I see is them actually becoming healthier, you know, physically, emotionally, probably spiritually, mentally, mm -hmm. and all the areas just by going and you know healing those scars and 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 digging mm -hmm. into the places that aren't so fun to dig into mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't feel so great at first but it's not as scary when we actually get in there you know i find i do work with um 
entrepreneurs who want to make more money, want to break through those upper limits. But I also work with those who have millions, our billions, right? The millionaires and billionaires, because they're also feeling like a prisoner inside themselves because they've still got the fear, the blockages, right? And how they're relating, how they're spending, how they feel like they have to protect things. Um, and, you know, this shows up in so many different ways for those two different categories of, of leaders and people, right? It's, it's how we, we're often avoiding um, actually reviewing our financial information for decision-making, mm-hmm. right? Or we have such discomfort with being with money that we want to push it away. And that shows up. I had, I have one um, woman who was working with, and she had made 10 million twice and lost it twice because some people had stolen it from her. Well, there's stuff going on in her where that's actually being allowed to happen. Mm. And, and she needs to look at that. Right. And, and, you know, another uh, leader that I was working with, you know, she'd gone, she'd taken her family company in business from 10 million to 573 million in six years, which is like remarkable, like hardly, like hardly anyone ever does that. Right. But she did that at the sacrifice of herself. So she was so burnt out after six years that she had to take a year long sabbatical to recover. And at the same time was holding this, like feeling indebted to her family, even though she was the one that created the wealth for her family and feeling guilty about the money and hiding that she has a self-directed fund because she wants, she has such a big heart for giving that her family doesn't like agree with. And so there's all this hiding and shaming and holding on to, you know, all these things for ourselves. We minimize ourselves, right? And that shows up in over or under pricing ourselves, or we're giving out of guilt um, rather than in alignment with our values. Um, we're holding ourselves back. This is a big one. This was a big one for me, right? Holding myself back and being visible because I thought, well, I don't want to outshine anyone else because I don't want to take anything else from anyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, my goodness, that's just robbing the world of, of my message and, and of all of our messages, right? And then that shows up when we hold ourselves back from not asking for what we need and also closing ourselves down from being able to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have literally become locked in asking and receiving. That's a big one leaders that I see right and then we end up ultimately in that normalizing suffering and I'm just here to say for for all of us we don't have to do that anymore uh-huh. <laughs> yes yes and I think a lot of times what comes up when people are unable to receive money is that either I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough or I'm not working hard enough so I don't deserve all that speak to that yeah, underneath all that is usually I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. I'm not lovable. And what's under the layer underneath that, Kimberly, mm-hmm. is I don't know how to be. I don't know how to be not only within myself or in the world, but I don't know how to be with money. I don't know how to be with wealth. Right. So there's this state of like even beingness coming coming full circle to like emotional poverty. There's a state of like beingness that is is happening. I just don't know how to be a human. I don't know how to be a person. I'm so lonely. I'm so like deep in my, you know, for me, uh, (laughs) this expressed itself by climbing inside. I call it the transformer, right? And putting all this armor around me so Mm -hmm. that I could feel safe, right? Emotionally safe in the world. Let me operate like this. Because I didn't know how to be in the world just being me. So I felt like I had to do all these other things instead of just being, man, that is just way more exhausting. Mm -hmm. Let me just tell you, 
right? And so part of the work that I do is helping people unpack, like, what are the things that we're um, putting on ourselves that we can actually take off ourselves to learn how to actually just be in the world mm -hmm. so that, you know, we can remember, yes, actually, I am lovable. I am good enough. This is enough. I am enough. Just being me. Mm -hmm. That's usually what it comes down to. And that's where we all want to get to. That's for sure. That's right. That's for sure. So that's right. sometimes I think about when you talk about putting on the armor or, you know, just striving, like, you know, what's the difference between pushing, 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 and just allowing and being? Mm. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Oh man, I know so much about the push. Right. I was in my twenties drinking two pots of coffee a day, not sleeping two nights a week and full on bulimic. I mean, I know a lot about the pushing, right? It's, it's where we create this tightness in our stomach. You can feel that in your stomach, right? The push, you can feel it in your chest, in your heart. Like you can literally feel your chest tighten up, mm -hmm. right? That's that sense of push. Now it's not that push and exertion of effort is always a bad thing, right? We don't want to make the push in like wrong. It's that what happens for so many of us is that we're pushing as the normal way of being, mm -hmm. right? We just usually just need a little push, right? A little sprint to create momentum and then get in the flow of beingness that comes from that when we push too hard we actually rob ourselves of being able to listen and have the spaciousness for what actually wants to drop in that's the receiving and so we want to create space in our life to listen that's why i'm a big advocate for one play because so much happens in the state of play but also too for deep contemplation mm -hmm. deep contemplation so do you ever have people do any type of meditation or how do oh, they, yeah. what do you suggest for the deep contemplation? Yeah, well, to me, meditation and contemplation are two different things. Um, meditation for me really is about a state of like just being you in this moment of time, right? Being incredibly present. Now there's so many different kinds of meditation out there, right? We've got transcendental meditation, we've got Vipassana, we've got Pranayama, we've got all kinds of, you know, breathing and, and meditation, like, it doesn't even really matter. It's really just about be right here in this moment with my breath with myself, that's meditation, contemplation, on the other hand, I believe, is holding a question lightly. And in a contemplative question, like, like I said earlier, right? What is it that I'm afraid to look at? What am I avoiding because I'm afraid to look at it? That's a contemplative question. And then literally creating the space, holding it lightly, maybe even taking a walk for you know half an hour to an hour and holding that question lightly. What is it that I'm avoiding because I'm afraid to look? And, not, and nothing else, no phone calls, no emails, like you're just being with yourself in the contemplative question and allowing what wants to drop in, to drop in, right? That's the exploration of self, right? An unexamined life is not worth living. Who is it that said that? Yeah, so much wisdom in that. An unexamined life is not worth living. Like we don't want to go through our life not examining it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now on the other hand, play, 
So yeah, you know, when you're baby. going towards a goal and you feel like you just, you know, oh, I do anyways. I was like, I don't want to stop working. I want to keep going. I'm excited about it and I'm going mm -hmm. towards it. But sometimes we do need to just stop and take a breather and play. So how do you suggest mm -hmm. people play? Well, there's, there's a few ways that I suggest play happen, but I'd like to just share a few, uh, like some of my own perspective about play. Um, so first off, I see play as a gateway to safety. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, if we're in a state of play, we're in a state of trust of ourselves. We're in a state of relax within ourselves because we're playing. We, there, may, there may be some like level of discomfort if you're doing like improv or something like that. You're like, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm like working that edge of like, you know, mm -hmm. going with the flow, but but you're still like relaxed in a certain kind of a way, right? Your, your, your mind, your central nervous system are calm in a certain kind of way, right? That creates emotional safety. So I see play as a gateway to emotionally safing yourself, mm -hmm. right? Another thing that I'm seeing about play is that it's a bit of white space. It creates white space, right? And possibility lives in white space, yeah. right? Innovation lives in white space. And so actually, hmm, maybe the more we play, the less we have to work because all the work is happening in the play because all the innovation and possibility drops in and we didn't have to do a damn thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that sounds like right? fun to me. <laughs> I know. I mean, what about that as a possibility of a way of being in our life? Uh, and so, and so to come back to how to how to play. Well, one of the things that I have a lot of um, the people that I work with do is create a day of play. And by that, it's like set the time, set the date, and and plan nothing. <laughs> Plan nothing, but go out into the world and go out into the world in a way where you're not, you're minimizing interaction with other, you're not taking your phone, right? You're minimizing interaction with other, but you're just, you're, you're like getting into that childlike state where you're like following whatever captures your attention. Like the butterfly, oh, look at that. I'm just going to go there now, right? And see what wants to have you. Um, and, and that kind of play, oh my goodness, so much magic happens in that, Kimberly. I have, I have these, these leaders come back and are like, oh my gosh. And like, I know. Um, and, and, and that's just one great way to start this in creative play. Another, another thing I like to do, I have this play deck. Huh. Uh, and so I have, you know, on here, you can see this little stack here. I've got all these different cards, you know, try a new hairstyle, mm -hmm. right? Put on pigtails, <laughs> a day of ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? Watch the clouds and images and imagine shapes, right? So, you know, I, I try to do this once a day and it's like blow bubbles, you know? So there's just like all these different ideas the things that like I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my play deck, right. And we can, we can turn to that whenever we want as a form of play. Oh, that is so much fun. And as you're talking about just going out into the world, um, I know I love nature too. And sometimes I can get so enamored with rocks <laughs> or with things swimming in the Creek <laughs> or with, you know, flowers or whatever happens to be there 
And yeah. um, I'm a photographer, so I like to bring my, mm. you know, phone or my camera and I'll get up real close and do, oh, what does that leaf look like as a microscopic? You know, <laughs> it just can be fun to actually explore things very exactly. deeply and kind of go down a rabbit hole with your mind exactly. and just kind of let it flow and go and and see what drops in right and see what drops in yeah this um this last may um uh, may 1st which is beltane in the celtic tradition and apparently i'm largely celtic i found out this year had my dna done um and i did this this medicine walk day of play and i went out from sunrise to sunset mm -hmm. and you know just with no agenda and um there was so many insights that i got but you know this is what i love about nature and why i look through the lens and, and principles of nature because on the first within the first hour you know i was going on up this trail and i could see like in the distance the mountains and i was like i want to go there i want to climb up there and then and then all of a sudden i came across this um, family of snails mm -hmm so many snails that I would like and I had to slow down mm -hmm. otherwise I would have smashed them I would have killed them mm -hmm. I was like I don't want to kill these snails there's no reason for that right so I had to literally slow and pace myself and when I slowed and I paced myself I was feeling into and accessing that emotional part of myself is like that seems like a good idea but actually that's not what I want what I want is to just enjoy today and relax and be in the, I want to savor every little minuscule of what's going on here. Every morsel of the day. I want to just like, like get all the drops of it. And, and then I was like, I don't actually want to go climb up that mountain. That's not what I want. That's not what I desire. It's this, some idea of what I think I'm supposed to do. Right. And that of course is still traced back to childhood stuff, right? All of our or like, I got to do this in order to be lovable. I got to do this in order to like be enough. I've got to la la la, right? How that expresses out across our life. And still even for me, um, right? This is, this is a lifelong journey that we're on here. Yeah. So how do we break out of that supposed to? Because, you know, I'm supposed to do this as a mom or as a doctor, but I'm supposed to do this, but my heart's wanting to do this. How do we break that so we can actually be okay being ourselves? Yeah, this is an awesome question. This is where we have to really begin to understand what our needs are mm -hmm. and what our desires are. And so many of us are so disconnected from that. There's a practice that I use with myself. I do it daily. I actually write it out and I record myself. It's called the empathy practice, right? Um, and through the empathy practice, I'm able to get clear on, even if there's some kind of a, a, if there's an emotional trigger, or even if I'm wanting to celebrate something, uh, I can get clear on underneath this, what is my need? Because I think we're walking around in a world with a bunch of leaders who have unmet needs and they're making decisions from a place of anger and fear and loneliness, right? And that's not creating anything good in the world. But if we can actually align with, hey, what are my unmet needs? What are my desires here? And I can healthfully attach to those. All of those shoulds, somehow you're like, huh, that's actually, again, going back to like, this isn't mine. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't actually, that's not actually true for me. 
So what is your truth of your desire and how to help? That's the work that I, part of the work that I do, right? It's like helping people to healthily attach their desires, their wants and get, and know how to get their needs met by first understanding what they even are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So once you get people, so they're actually looking at their wound, they're actually clearing these scars and they're actually open to possibilities now because they're playing how do you yeah. help them get to that financial goal they want to get to? Well, that's like the cherry on top, right? I mean, it's it, the, the, the money piece becomes so easy after all of the rest of it. It's, it really is. So I had, I have um, a group that I lead for a, for a year long program and I've been doing this work of excavation, right? The, the getting in the clearing out. Right. And I didn't even have to talk to some of these, these gals about their financial strategies. I didn't even have to go there. You know what, I'm, I'm gonna share what's happened this year alone. One of my, one of my gals, she literally went from um, just, at, just at over 100,000 in revenue to now she's almost at 2 million this year, right? Huge. That's huge. And this is a woman who has high anxiety, right? She, she has um, panic attacks when she goes out to restaurants. So she doesn't really want to be out in public. Um, and this is a woman who is a mechanic type on the wealth dynamics test. So she's not the star who's like, you know, wants to be out there and shine, you know, which is what I am. Um, she's the more systematic type, right? So she was afraid to show up for sales conversations and do the business development work in her business. Mm -hmm. So we worked on that and we worked on, okay, well, actually the kind of sales that's really good for her is problem solving sales, mm -hmm. right? And so the approach that she needs to take is different than what someone else needs to take because of who she is and also what her business is doing. I didn't have to work with her on anything else. I just had to work with her on who she is and what's going on inside of her. And she did the rest, right? She took her from business from just over a hundred thousand to over almost 2 million. And she also bought her dream home this year. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the kinds of things that are possible. We don't really necessarily even struggle as much with the strategy. There's so many different strategies. It's really what's going on inside of us that's getting in the way of our ability to make the decisions. Mm -hmm. It also sounds yeah. like you're finding where their strong points are and helping mm -hmm. them use, use that strong point to actually get what they want or what they're looking for. That's right. I'm very, very closely looking at their strengths you know, their tendencies, right. And working and helping them see that and see and helping them see that that's a gift, mm -hmm. right. And how to work within that as a gift, um, because then that just allows more ease, more fun. It doesn't have to be hard. We don't have to be slaves in our business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You should say that one more time. <laughs> okay. We don't have to work hard. We don't have to be slaves in our business. We don't have to normalize suffering. It can actually be joyful and satiating and satisfying, right? I'm not saying it's always, I'm not saying it's always easy, but yeah. it is simple, right? And if we can open up the simplicity mm -hmm. box and like step in to that garden space, mm -hmm. gosh, yeah. Life just gets so much more fun. Yes. So much more fun. And that's why I had to repeat it. Cause I'm like, entrepreneurs think they just have to go to the grindstone. Yeah. It is great to hear yeah. that. 
So I bet you there are people who would love to work with you. So why don't you tell us where they can find you, what you're offering now that's available? Sure. Well, you can head over to jenniferlove.com. Um, and, and if anyone wants to come have a conversation or share a story with me, you can do that. There's a discovery form that you can complete there. Um, and I would be happy to have a conversation. What I'm offering, right? My, all of my work is about the metamorphosis um, of that leader, right? And, the, and whatever phase or stage it is right for that, um, that leader. And so I invite you into the sanctuary, which is the deep dive money therapy work. Um, or into the prosperity cave where um, I do workshops, you know, the butterfly ceremonies, you know, different kinds of uh, workshops there in that way, the community garden or the secret garden where that's the practice field um, and the play field. And then I also have living wealthy retreats that we're doing here at the living wealthy Institute. So that's the different ways that we can play together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all starts with completing that discovery form on jenniferlove.com. Okay, well, thank you. So personal question, what gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? I bet you're not going to be surprised by this. It's play and and nature. I mean, I just love being with nature. I have this um, memory, I call it um, my sunshine forest memory. Mm -hmm. I have this memory, I, I, I think I was about seven or eight years old and we were camping. It was my grandparents, my brother, my mom. And I found this little stream and there was like this little, like in the forest, right? This little stream and this water going by and all these rocks. And there was this like rays of sunshine that were coming down in. And I just got lost in the play. I, I decided, hmm, I wonder if I can stop the flow of this water by, by building up all these rocks, right? And so just being with nature and playing in nature, it is absolutely what brings me the most joy. Beautiful. Well, thank you so so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing all your wisdom. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs might decide they don't have to work so hard now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, you know, just, just um, a little advice, um, you know, to bring more life, more joy, more ease into whoever's listening, whoever's watching life and cultivate compassion for yourself like coming back right right here to rosie mm-hmm. cultivate compassion and self-empathy right start there become your own best friend that's how i got through bulimia for myself i had to change the language in my head mm-hmm. and become my own best friend and use your values um, for how you're making decisions financial decisions uh, i have a, a story i can tell really quick um, several years ago when I started the financial literacy company and early on, I went out for a sponsorship for a, from a big company and $110,000 sponsorship. And so, you know, walking into their office in Silicon Valley, meeting went really well, following up with a great proposal, you know, after having really listened to their needs and what they wanted and created this awesome proposal with a few others who helped me out. And, and then they, they came back with a Yes. But the yes was, but we want to have the caveat because it was a year long sponsorship. The caveat was, but we want to have a 90 day writer to like, you know, 90 days and see how it goes. Well, one of my values is have their back, whether it's my clients or my teams, you know, back. And, and so because of how we were weaving the sponsor into 
the programming into our social media, into our marketing, and, and how we were going to be offering our clients um, a deal from this company. I was like, man, if they decided like after 90 days to pull out, I'm like completely being disruptive to my team. And I'm also being completely disruptive to my clients. And this doesn't feel like I'm having their back. Mm-hmm. So I, I, they, and this company wanted the decision by Friday. This was like Wednesday. They wanted a decision by Friday. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to need through the weekend to mm-hmm. make this decision. I called a couple of advisors and they're like, yeah, we're thinking about this the same way you are, Jennifer. And so I sent them an email on Monday morning and I said, you know what? I re- like, I'm, I really like you. I think we can do great things together. Here's a, like recapping all the things that I thought would be the win for them, but I can't do this. I was willing to walk away from a $110,000 deal mm-hmm. because it conflicted with my value, mm-hmm. but I explained myself. I said, but here's why I gave them the end the, the, I told them the story about why this wouldn't work. And they came back and said, no problem. Could we do quarterly payments? And I was like, sure. Great. Right. And we closed the deal. And, and so the point of that story is be willing to use your values, which means that you have to understand what they are. Um, to make financial decisions, to make any decision really. And then, and then use the, and attune yourself to that contemplation, right? Asking questions like, um, how do I want to be in the world and in my relationship with money? And what am I avoiding because I don't want to look? And what is possible when I operate from a place of abundance? Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yes. You're welcome. May I just share a blessing and a challenge as we're heading into, um, you know, this new season. And that is, I dare you. I dare you to feel good. I dare you to be free. I dare you to be whole in your relationship with wealth. And in that, I invite you um, to really reconnect with what money, what wealth really is, which I see as being regenerative, natural, and sacred. Great. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And we'll talk to you again soon.